0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Equipcast. My name is Jim Jansen and uh, I'm your host today. Really great conversation today. Jen Mosier and I break open the discipline of teaching less for more. If you've ever worried about putting together like a a lesson or a retreat moment and you're, you're just worried about being incomplete, about not having enough to say, if you ever felt kind of like stuck that you're just, you're tied to your curriculum, you're gonna find this conversation immensely helpful. Uh, Jen kind of breaks open the difference between how to teach things that are helpful and relevant uh, and why you need both. She breaks open just the fundamental first step in teaching about teaching with the end in mind. You're gonna love today's conversation. Take a listen. Welcome to the Equipcast for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Designed to help leaders to transform their cultures, to embody the pastoral vision, be One Church, Encountering Jesus, Equipping Disciples, and Living Mercy. Jen Moser, welcome back to the Equipcast. How are you doing today?
1: I'm well, Jim. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Good. So, Jen, we are uh, and part of a conversation. Uh, you and I and Andy and Whitney, we've been talking about some concepts, best practices, really. Disciplines, maybe, is, uh, is a good word that a ministry or a parish or a team can use just to get better. This is one of our favorites in, in the sort of way it's like, oh, I really love this and it, I actually hate it when I ha- have to apply it. We're going to talk about teach less for more. But before we do, to stay true to the Equipcast, people have heard a little bit of your story before. So Jen, tell us something about your faith journey that nobody knows, or at least Quickcast listeners may not know yet.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was trying to think about this because I forget what stories I've shared in what contexts. But yeah, when I was young, um, probably about three, four, five years old, my parents had some evangelical friends with whom they did Bible studies. So my dad would go and do a Bible study with some of the men. And my mom had a Bible study that she hosted in our house. Uh, and there were a few Catholic folks that were involved with my mom's Bible study. So it was kind of a, you know, interdenominational Mix. thing.
0: And I'm just curious, because mm-hmm. I've heard this story Where did they meet? How'd they connect?
1: Yeah, so um, it was a little unfortunate. One of my dad's cousins and her husband left the Catholic faith, and they Uh um, joined an evangelical church in a neighboring town. But the blessing that came through that was that um, we were introduced to some really solid Christian people and became friends with with them and- Because uh, they stayed in
0: relationship. They did, yes. Yeah,
1: yeah. and very fruitful relationship That's too. That's awesome. So for several years, they, my parents sent me and some of my siblings to this vacation Bible school in one of the neighboring towns in Creighton. And we went to this week-long vacation vacation Bible school where uh, every year they would do kind of the the, tr- the traditional altar call um, yeah. and and people were invited to, all the, the kids were invited, if they'd never given their hearts to Jesus to do that.
0: Yeah. And I Which, remember- for, Yeah, for those who don't, like an altar call, even if an altar is not present, the idea is in a church context, it'd be like an altar call, right? If it's there's actually like an altar there. But if not, it's still, it's this reference to, I'm going to stand up, come forward, raise my hand, whatever, as a sign that I am in a new and fresh way, giving myself to the Lord again, or for the first time.
1: Yeah. And I remember as a five or, I was probably about six or seven, actually, at that time. I remember just being really pierced by that invitation Mm -hmm. and having just a strong desire in my child's heart. To respond to the invitation to make Jesus the center of my life. And so I remember praying that prayer, and but I had this really Catholic intuition that couldn't just do it once and be done. <laughs> 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 that that it really was an everyday decision that that you would yeah. make. And so I remember going back the next year and just kind of, you know, Recommitting myself Doing to that, even as a, a child, and uh, and then throughout my my years growing up and into high school, we listened to Christian radio, and so sometimes they would do that, you know, in various contexts. Yeah. And I remember just um, when I would hear that, it would always take me back to that space of wanting to just recommit myself to the Lord again, to really make Him the center of my life. So those were very foundational experiences for me, and really made a strong impression that set me on the right track to seeing my relationship with God as very something very personal yeah. and and really putting him at the center of my life
0: you know Jen I love that story because I had a moment like that in college uh, my wife Kim has a, had a very similar moment you know the a camp down in Texas uh, summer camp and I love you talking about like that Catholic intuition I some I think maybe some of our listeners or some are like man like struggle to reconcile how that fits in our faith. I think it's like a deeply Catholic instinct where you think about every year when we come to the uh, Easter vigil uh, or, or an Easter celebration, we'll renew our baptismal promises, yes. which mm-hmm. is this slightly ritualized, but like, no, I mean it. I belong to God and I'm not going to let the devil trick me anymore. And this recommitment, not only kind of annually, anytime there's a baptism or Easter celebration, but in some ways, like coming up to communion is the ultimate altar call. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we often don't think of it that way, but in reality, we are walking forward and say, all right, Jesus, I am giving myself to you, and I am receiving you, not just into my heart, but into my body. And I mean, I am as close as we can possibly be. That's what I want. I give myself to you, and I let you give yourself to me. It really is this beautiful thing that, yeah, again, you know, so many of us have a moment where we remember deciding again, okay, going to give God the keys. Mm -hmm.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. You know, that kind of evangelical approach to things can actually shed some light on those moments that we actually do have those spaces in our Catholic faith if we just have the
0: eyes to see Yeah, it in that yeah, way. yeah, it's Yeah, it really is all over. It's not maybe as foreign as it might seem to us because that's what we're supposed to be doing every time we come to communion. That's what we're doing every Easter when we renew our baptismal promises. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so let's talk about teach less or more. This is a practice and it occurred to me, it's like, Why do I not like it? Oh, because it's a discipline, (laughs) something that I love and hate at the same time. Teach less for more. Jen, give us just an intro to this practice. Like, uh, how would you describe it?
1: Yeah, so I think it's good to just acknowledge that this is really about rethinking what and how we communicate. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that we can drastically improve how people learn if we teach less. That doesn't necessarily mean fewer words, although it can in some instances. But what it really is focused on is that we narrow the scope of what we teach to cover less information. So okay. you can think about an analogy might be a baseball coach. So mm-hmm. a good coach is going to focus on the fundamentals, especially when they're teaching you know younger kids, right? right. Yeah. Um, and they're not going to waste time on anything that really doesn't help the kids improve their game.
0: Well, yeah, and one thing at a time.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: (laughs) Jen, talk about why this is. So, right, the summary is like, yeah, you just like teach less or more is teaching less. Because it's more effective, why is this important to Mm -hmm. do? Mm
1: -hmm. Well, in the world we live in today, obviously, I think we all know we're bombarded with information. And and with technology being what it is, this has become even more acute. Mm -hmm. So, and the necessity of this, this discipline, I think, has become even greater in that context. So, yeah. so this practice or discipline really points at the fact that we have a limited amount of time to communicate with people <laughs> yeah. um, and, and limited det- attention that they are able to give us. And in that context, we have to acknowledge that all knowledge or information is not actually equal. Some things are more critical for people to know. Yeah. And what happens oftentimes is that uh, as we're communicating information, because, partially because people are bombarded with so much of it in their lives already, but also sometimes because we can try to shove too much information mm-hmm. into a lesson or a talk or whatever context we're trying to communicate. Homily
0: retreat, Yes, <laughs> right,
1: exactly. <laughs> yeah, so with that, what can happen is that there can be a canceling effect that takes place. Um, uh, okay, a canceling effect. Say more mm-hmm. about
0: that. Because that doesn't sound good if you're trying to communicate <laughs> and teach.
1: Right. So we have, all of us have a threshold for how much information we can absorb at once. And when the information just keeps coming, your ideas start competing with one another in a person's mind. And people can't actually hold all of them in their mm-hmm. minds at the same time. And, and so it actually ends up diffusing or kind of diluting your message when you communicate too much at one time.
0: So in other words, the more you give, the less they take away because at a certain point when you keep adding concept and analogy and story and uh, another cool point, and this is a helpful tip, as you keep adding, it eventually takes away what you might have established earlier in the lesson.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think if we if we all think about it, we've probably had this experience, right? That you're maybe mm-hmm. listening to a homily, <laughs> and it sounds like the priest is maybe just going to start landing the plane, but then the plane goes back up again, and he starts on another point, and you mm-hmm. think, wait, what does this have to do with anything? And then by the time he's finished with that, you kind of forget what he was talking
0: about at the beginning the of the homily, one, yeah. <laughs> right? Well, I've I've had this effect... I mean, every homily I hear is fantastic, just, just for the <laughs> record, for, for my priest friends that are listening. No, I, I was going to say, I have this I have this um, art museums. Mm. Uh, I had a very wise – because my experience of any museum, art, whatever, is like you to go, you know, after three hours, I just leave with a headache. Mm. And I'm like, I don't know. Why did I do this? Do, am I more cultured now? And it just – I tried to take in too much and I had a wonderful professor in college. He's like, anytime you go head straight for the bookstore and look at like, what is the highlight of this museum, this whatever, and pick out. It's like, okay, I want to see these two or three things and go see those well and let yourself absorb them and receive them and, and learn in, you know, if it's a, if it's a different context, and then like, you know, go have a snack or have, mm-hmm. have some coffee and explore something new if you want, mm-hmm. but like, don't overdo it. And it was so hard because you're like, yeah, but I'm only going to come once a year. Or I've, You know, this is the only time I'm going to be in this city. But it makes the experience far more enjoyable for one, but actually impactful. I mean, mm-hmm. I walk away and I'm like, wow, I was actually affected and learned. And the experience that I was seeking actually happened when I didn't Overdo it by you know speeding through every gallery.
1: Right, absolutely. Mm-hmm.
0: So Jen, I think this is a this was a great idea when Jesus did it, right? Along when people let's just assume they had a little bit longer attention thresholds. It's even more essential now, you know. I mean, not that we're we're not neuroscientists, but I mean, you don't have to be a genius to know that people seem to have noisier lives and less attention spans than they used to. There's another, I think, a reason for for this, or maybe kind of like an anecdote, uh, and that is people have to know why they're learning something, i.e. as you seek to give them, okay, here, I want to talk to you about, you know, the five steps or the three whatever to learning how to pray. People have to know why. Can you say a little bit more, like, why do people have to know why they're learning something?
1: Yeah. Well, I think that this is clear for those who are parents. (laughs) Um, If if what you're saying doesn't matter to your child, they're just not going to listen, right? They're just going to turn off and put their attention elsewhere. So people have to know why what you're teaching matters to them, because Oftentimes, we don't actually learn something until we really need to know it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a human thing, mm-hmm. but it's even more of a—it's a self-preservation strategy when we live in an age of information overload. Right. Absolutely. It's like, it's like no, I don't, I don't want to learn something if it's not going to help me because I actually feel the need for some things in my life, and if this isn't one of those things, I have to fight for attention to know what I actually need to know. Mm -hmm. Well,
1: and and think about it too, the the greater the need, the higher the interest level Mm. and the potential to actually learn it. So I think about this in terms of being a homeowner, right? (laughs) I didn't learn how to shut off the water in a house until the back spigot on the back of my house
0: would not shut off, (laughs) (laughs) right? Suddenly very motivated.
1: (laughs) Right. You know, or That's I can awesome. think of any number of things when it comes yeah, to being I'm a mom. I'm like flashing
0: owner. back to teaching my teenage daughter how to change a tire. Right. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, thankfully there was a there was a friend who didn't know how to change a tire and had a you know slightly traumatic circumstance and so she was really motivated she was like oh crap I need to know this right
1: well or think of you know dating relationships so Jim you will often say yeah. this about uh, your wife Kim that you didn't care about competitive jump roping yes she until was a
0: competitive you jump roper,
1: until you started dating Kim who was a competitive jump roper yeah. so um this is so true in relationships as well that we don't actually care about mm. Particular things, or you know, a particular hobby or interest, until we meet someone that we want to be in relationship with, um, mm-hmm. who has that hobby or interest.
0: So we've kind of stumbled into one of the one of the best ways to begin to apply this discipline and this practice is you have to tell people why what you're presenting matters to them. Like, mm-hmm. why is this relevant mm-hmm. to you right now?
1: And really tap into their interest. So I yeah. think that you can think about this in That's terms great. of teenagers are a great example. What are teenagers interested mm-hmm. in, right? They're, they're starting to come into this stage of life where they wanna be autonomous. They're interested in the opposite sex, right? Mm-hmm. They, they have um, a particular need at that particular moment for some critical information that they are gonna need in order to live as adults.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm reminded as you talk about this, I mean, you could do this a a quick kind of like, okay, why do people need to know this? Okay, great. But in some ways, I'm reminded the way Pope Francis talks about in Joy of the Gospel. He talks about preaching for a little bit, and and he says, you have to contemplate the Word of God, and you have to contemplate God's people. Mm. And there's a Mm -hmm. little bit of preparation for those who are serving as teachers to contemplate like... What do my students, what do the, the people that I'm sharing this information with, what are those who are going to be benefiting from this experience? Like, what do they need to know? And there's a little bit of reflection, dare I say, contemplation of the hearers so that we can be very sharp about what we're sharing and that it can all be prefaced by here's why this matters for you. Mm-hmm. Because if you try and say, hey, here's why this matters to you, but it's bogus. Yeah, I mean, everybody's, I think, experienced that. Not that it is bogus. I'm going to talk about math teachers, right? But not that it is bogus, but if it is unconvincing, oh, someday you're going to want to, you know, do calculus in the grocery mm-hmm. stores. you can right. be like, what? I don't, I don't, that's not connecting. <laughs> and so the ability to actually say, or to provide a reason, this matters for you in a way that connects with the here makes all the difference.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that as we're thinking about how we communicate, two questions that are very helpful would be, one, is this helpful? <laughs> right. And and two, is this going to be relevant to the particular felt needs of the people that I'm speaking to?
0: Mm. to distinguish those. Is it going to be helpful? Because those sound similar. Helpful versus is it going to be relevant? Mm-hmm. Uh, expand that out a little bit. What's the difference? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think when we say "is it helpful," it kind of gets to is this something that this person actually does really need to know at this particular stage or um, point in their life? Mm-hmm. You know, is this going to help them take their next step forward closer to Jesus? Is this going to yeah. help them take their next step forward in the faith? You know, or in mm-hmm. practicing the faith? Because again, all of this is is going to be we want it to be aimed at application.
0: Right. Well, and this is a particular. Particularly Catholic opportunity, we might say, because we have so much stuff mm-hmm. that we could share, but to filter it through what does this person need to grow and mature as a disciple of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. that's huge mm-hmm. but how's that different than what did you say you said their felt needs?
1: yeah, is this relevant
0: relevant to their lives?
1: yeah, so is there a felt need for it? Does it actually speak to place in life that they're in so for example married couples going through marriage preparation Mm. or i'm sorry um couples going through marriage preparation who are going to be entering into marriage
0: right engaged yeah
1: right so there's a relevance to certain information that would be presented Mm. in that context that isn't going to be the same as 20 years down the road right right so we have to ask ourselves is what i'm presenting right now helpful Mm-hmm. to actually take them ta- help them take their next step forward or is it also going to be relevant
0: right well does it connect with their felt needs because mm-hmm. yeah good information on you know budgeting or how to process you know the grief of a loss of a parent might be helpful mm-hmm. but it's probably not going to feel urgent it's not going to feel relevant at the time mm-hmm. and so if you can connect those two you're in a really sweet spot to be able to really uh, connect with people
1: your message is going to be a lot more powerful that way.
0: So if we're trying to like teach less, what do we actually say? When we're, if we're going to try and teach less for more, what do you end up teaching? Or maybe mm-hmm. put another way, how do you know what to, to, to mm-hmm. teach and what not?
1: Yeah, so I think we have to teach with the end in mind. So the question to ask is, what do we want people to become? Mm. We have to think about where we want them to be, what we want them to become,
0: Wow, say that again. So what do we want people to become? Right. Okay.
1: And then decide from there what you want to teach. So you have to have a clear picture in your mind and a vision for each stage of a person's life that helps you then determine a way to measure what you teach. Okay. That becomes a filter through which you determine what you should or shouldn't say. And really, ultimately, the things that we choose to teach teach should be focused on those things that people most need to hear. Again, those questions of, is it helpful? Is it relevant? Need to be connected to this vision for who we we see a person becoming. So when we think about being a disciple of Christ, what does full maturity look like? Mm -hmm. We need to have that vision in mind, even as we're asking the question of where someone is. So we have to hold kind of in in intention those two things. Where do we want a person to to eventually end, mm-hmm. and then based on that vision, what's the next thing that I can teach to yeah, help them yeah, move in that next. direction?
0: So practically, somebody is like sitting sitting down and they're designing a lesson, a retreat, or maybe a you know curriculum for religious education, youth ministry, whatever. How do you practically do this? Mm-hmm.
1: There are what we would call irreducible minimums of mm-hmm. learning. So you think about if I were to kind of boil down all of the things that I might potentially teach Mm -hmm. or I might potentially communicate to kind of the irreducible minimums, I can't get more basic or more um,
0: foundational. Mm. And I can't, I can't not teach this.
1: Correct. Yeah. Because it's so critical to achieve this vision of who I desire this person to become um, that I, I need to make sure that my communication is focused on those particular concepts without adding too many other concepts that would muddy the water.
0: Right, for someone who's, who's maybe listening right now, conceptually, this isn't that hard, but psychologically, it is so hard. Those of us who love to tell stories, who love context and background, and who have fallen in love with much of the content and truths of the faith, this can be brutally hard mm-hmm. to do as, as an as an individual. Jen, we we've got some stories where we want to share this, but I, as we were talking before we like hit hit record, we're talking about like how hard this can be in I mean just just the realm of religious education, sacramental prep. We're going to provide kind of like some anecdotes here like okay, here's your step-by-step to do this well. But give us a little bit of a picture of like how this sometimes get sideways and how we sometimes violate this practice and and suffer for it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that we can sometimes confuse what is most important from what is just interesting. Ooh, <laughs> And I think we can also confuse what is most applicable right in the moment mm-hmm. with gaps that we see in yeah. a particular person's formation. So the example that I always think of is confirmation preparation. Yeah. Um that that we have this practice oftentimes in parishes where we we take a two-year long process, you know, because our our kids are confirmed in 8th grade, so we take 7th and 8th grade and we say we're going to spend all of this time reviewing all of the essentials, the basics of the faith in preparation for confirmation. Right. Yeah. Rather than focusing simply on The immediate preparation for the sacrament. What does this person need to know about the sacrament? What information do we need to give them in order to be prepared
0: or formation? where does their heart and mind actually Mm -hmm. need to be to receive that?
1: Fruitfully, yes. Right,
0: Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, to receive what's being offered them, the the actual grace of the sacrament. Now, I'm imagining some of those of you who are part of, like, people are listening who are like, yeah, but you don't get it. Like, the kids show up maybe for the first time in a while, seventh and eighth grade, and they don't know how to say the Our Father, and they don't know the creed. Mm-hmm. And even though the Our Father and the creed may not seem like they're a key part of sacramental prep, they are when the kids don't have that background. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you help people sort that out without right, t- turning this into a podcast on mm-hmm. reforming religious education? How do you sort that out?
1: Yeah, you no, know, I think that that's a very difficult, just acknowledging the difficulty of that situation, but I think that the question is, if we go through all of these concepts and all of these foundational things, what is the impact of that going to be? Is is Will it really actually keep them as a part of the church post-confirmation? Right.
0: Are they actually retaining those things?
1: Right, right. And so oftentimes, we know that um, kids come to that space without an experience, a felt experience of the Lord's presence in their life, or yeah. having had an encounter with the Lord that makes the faith meaningful for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so then they approach the sacrament from that space where it, it doesn't really have meaning. It ends up just being kind of an initiation or an initiation out of the church, unfortunately. Right. So it's important for us, I think, in that situation to take a step back and say, okay, what is actually going to be helpful for mm-hmm. this person given where they're coming in what will be relevant to them, especially in terms of the immediate preparation for the sacrament. And I think that there is a space Mm -hmm. where those two things can come together that we can communicate and and hopefully impart um, something that could spark that deeper encounter, something that could help them have an understanding of the impact of the sacrament in their life without having to go back and review all of the essentials of the faith.
0: Jen, as I listen to you talk here, I'm, you know, I'm I'm drawn to what you said earlier in that we have to teach with the end in mind, and, and again that that kind of spawned in my mind is like we actually have to contemplate the the people that are in front of us. Put another way, you you introduce this concept of right, like you know, what are the irreducible minimums? I think we've often misdiagnosed. In the context of sometimes religious education and sacramental prep, we've misdiagnosed the irreducible minimums. Mm -hmm. That, like, I mean, and we've assumed like what should be an irreducible minimum is that they have entrusted themselves to the Lord and that they desire to have the third person of the Trinity, in the case of confirmation, come and strengthen and empower them. Well, no, I mean, the real irreducible minimum is probably that they should be a disciple and that they would want this sacrament. And there's a couple of things that I think we've missed that when we stop and we say, okay, what is the end do we want? Do we want young people that simply walk in straight lines and conform to religious practice? Or do we want disciples that are vibrant and fruitful and resilient in the face of a hostile world? And man, that reflection changes the, the content we, we teach. Mm-hmm. And I think what you said earlier, if it is true that the more we teach can have a canceling effect, then we don't try and teach everything because we know there are some things they can't not know.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So let's talk a little bit like how do you actually do this? Like give us, if you, if you can, kind of walk us through how do we begin to apply this practice with intentionality?
1: So this is, um, I think, a helpful place to think through four different steps okay. in this process. So take notes,
0: everybody. No, actually, yeah. no. <laughs> So the Just first, re-listen.
1: the first step is to decide what you're going to say. Okay. There's so many things we can teach, and and I think in our day and age we have so many resources available to us mm-hmm. that we can use for teaching. Yeah. So we have to determine early on what is important for people to learn and zero in on the primary core of information. So this is where you would identify those irreducible minimums. Right,
0: this is where you ask the question or maybe slightly before, like, okay, what does this person need? What what matters to them? What are the felt needs in their life? That's where kind of all these things are happening.
1: Right, and what's the end goal of where we want to get? So so what's the next step okay. right now to get to that
0: end goal? So you, so this is just step number one. It's deciding what you're going to say. Correct. And probably by implement, uh, implication, deciding what you're not going to say. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what's next?
1: So secondly, you're going to want to look at saying one thing at a time so you want to decide to say one thing at a time we talked a little bit earlier about how teaching less for more means not just prioritizing the core of information we want to teach but also that we may actually say less Mm -hmm. uh each time we meet so since that information can have uh too much information can have a canceling effect we have to weigh what we want to say and be realistic with how much people can receive at any given time
0: you know, Jen, I mean, if I can, I don't know if I'm playing devil's advocate or what here, or if I'm just whining, but let's say devil's advocate sounds a little bit better. I thought is like, but you don't understand. I have to say it all right now because this is my only shot. They're only going to come once. We're only, this is an annual retreat. This is whatever. And I feel intensely, and I believe, and I've been able to, from time to time, apply this practice but it feels like oftentimes we only have one shot. Mm-hmm. And so deciding to only say one thing, or I'm gonna say this thing, and, and I may not know when I get a chance to say the other, Like, what would you say to someone in that circumstance? Because that temptation, I feel in myself and I empathize with those who feel it like, no, 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 but this is my only chance. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I think we have to acknowledge that if we really want people to apply what we're giving them, mm-hmm. we wanna move them to action, People really can only take a certain number of steps at one time anyway. Mm. And so if we're focusing our message on one single principle Mm -hmm. or one single action that we want them to take, it's going to be more effective anyway because people are just limited in the amount of things they can do at once anyway. Or if they're trying to build a habit or develop a discipline, it just can't all be done at once anyway.
0: Well, and they, they they might actually come back. Mm -hmm. if what they hear from us makes a difference for them. Right. If it's absorbable because it's not overwhelming and filled with all sorts of other stuff. Mm -hmm. All right, so first one was decide what you're going to say. Decide to say one thing at a time. What's Mm -hmm. what's next? Number three.
1: Yeah, so number three is decide how you are going to say it. Mm. We have to remember that communication should engage the heart as well as the mind. So we want to appeal to different learning styles. We we you know, we don't want to fall into a an emotionalism that isn't helpful, but we do need to appeal to the emotions because that is motivating for people. Sure. Information that's sterile and doesn't actually connect with the heart is far less likely to move people to action.
0: So this would be perhaps when you're okay, we're going to start with a mix and match and then we're going to have a discussion and then I'm going to remind and mm-hmm. this is this is where you're like you're thinking about how like methodology for communication and for discovery right? and for, yeah, am I going to start with a story? This is where you're beginning to kind of craft the lesson, if you will. Correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. What what comes next?
1: Yeah. So the fourth step is to say it over and over again. So this is all about repetition.
0: Oh, this one is where you say it over and over again? Yes.
1: Where you say it over and over again. And
0: then you repeat yourself. Correct. Got it. Yeah.
1: Repetition isn't bad. This is just how we learn, right? Um, that- that If you're going to learn to tie your shoes, you do it over and over and over again, and you try it again. So constantly introducing new information um, doesn't actually keep people's attention. It, like I said earlier, diffuses Mm -hmm. and kind of dilutes the message, and it leads to less effective results. So don't be afraid to repeat the same message. Um, Just use different moments and different mediums to do it.
0: Yeah, that's helpful because you're saying teach less for more is is maybe a reduction of concepts. But that doesn't preclude repetition. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, Jen, let's talk a little bit about where we've seen this at work. Because, I mean, I confess, I find this discipline hard. But I have been profoundly rewarded times that I've done so. And for me, it's usually I'm cutting out stories uh, or anecdotes, or my yeah, I'm I'm only reducing it to three or four dozen, you know, metaphors and analogies. Cutting those out is difficult, but I've been rewarded for it. Talk about give us give us some places where you've seen this at work. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I uh, mentioned very early on as we were talking uh, homilies. So mm-hmm. some of the most effective homilies I've ever heard mm-hmm. are really not that long. One for one thing, sure. But they're they're straight to the point and they're focused on one point. Um, yeah. And if they if they add any additional kind of development around that point, it always drives home the point more effectively.
0: Right. And just I think both of us would be of the school, like we wouldn't necessarily ascribe to the minimalist homily length. But I think you, to, to make your point, you're like, you can accomplish this highly effective, And you don't have to have the length. You could. There's nothing against that. But more important than short or long, good opening joke or not, is were you able to teach less for more? Were you able to identify the core messages that needed to be communicated Mm -hmm. and stick with and reinforce those? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And I think... um you know, obviously as lay people, we're not giving homilies, but I can think of my own experience of giving retreat talks Mm -hmm. or teaching a lesson, trying to put a lesson plan together. And I am one who loves context. Mm -hmm. So I can pull in all sorts of things that I think are relevant or just, you know, they're tangentially related. And so I think I need to say them. But if I look at my own experience and I look at the own, my own, um, Those moments where I have given an effective talk or an effective lesson. It really has been when I have focused the message in on trying to communicate one thing that relates to the audience and then offer reinforcing anecdotes or stories or videos or things like that, that just push the message home.
0: Yeah. For me, it's salvation history. That material, right? The story of kind of God's saving love from Adam to, to Jesus and all the way through in the covenants changed my life. I loved it. It was the foundation of a lot of you know what I taught as a missionary in Bible studies, and then I did classes. And I have, from time to time, had opportunity to continue to teach that. But I I mean when we did it in in the mentorship program it was part of the kind of the, the formation for the mentorship program and I had to stop and ask myself the questions like well why are we teaching this what is this for what do we what are the felt needs what are the what are the real needs for these these students and I had to cut out my fa- some of my favorite stories and I had to recognize like oh yeah like that's not I could add that, and it could be fun, and it could be helpful, except for it will cause them to lose the really important thing that that, that I need, uh, that that they need to walk away walk away with. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, uh, yeah, just the decision to do that was so fruitful, but so hard, mm-hmm. you know, because again, I had fallen in love with the material myself. And without that, I had kind of initially short-circuited the reflection, and we're just, uh, just overwhelming people. Yeah, overwhelming them with the, the information. Mm-hmm. Well, and
1: I can speak from personal experience coordinating the mentorship program that we have here at the Archdiocese. This principle has been very challenging for me. Yeah. Um. I remember when we were doing the initial brainstorming of what this was going to be and all of the topics that we thought we needed to cover,
0: yeah.
1: uh, in order to to form people effectively for evangelization and
0: yeah. God bless those first cohorts. Yeah. No. If you're our listening, pigs. we uh, we love you. Uh, we do. We Thank love you, you very Sorry. much.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. And uh, as they're listening, they're probably laughing because they they probably recognize the moments where we totally violated this principle. Yeah. Um. But I remember learning this principle in the midst of trying to do some revisions and uh, really focus in on what we were trying to accomplish in the program. And so this continues to be a challenge for me with any given session that we do to decide, you know, how much do we do? How much is too much? We have such a limited amount of time. So what are the essentials that people need to know uh, in order to take a next step forward?
0: Jen, we wanted to give a shout out here as we're as we get close to like kind of closing up here. we wanted to give a shout out. There's a couple of places that we've seen this uh, especially well done mm-hmm. uh, places where they they teach less for more. They really apply this practice in this discipline. Do you want to give a shout out here?
1: Yeah, so I was thinking about Alpha, which is one of our parish mm-hmm. evangelization programs that um, several parishes in the archdiocese are using, and mm-hmm. I love that alpha is so clear about their mission mm-hmm. and who they are trying to reach. They know their target audience and it's those people who are maybe on the peripheries, not in our parishes, who um, may be atheists or agnostics or right. um,
0: just Catholic have- Catholic name only, but it's been a while.
1: Right, yeah. right. And they've they maybe have never had a heartfelt personal encounter with God. Mm-hmm in a meaningful way that would connect them to a community of faith. And so I love that Alpha is so focused on preaching the core message of the gospel Mm -hmm. and that they really avoid, um, when Alpha's done well, they really avoid getting into the weeds of having arguments over apologetics or catechesis. The purpose is not to get into, you know, Trying to uh, impart all of the information and the knowledge about faith. Yeah,
0: they're not trying to communicate the entirety of Christian faith, Mm -hmm. which which is interesting. There's been some critiques and misunderstanding, I think, because of that. People are like, "What? This is not like. How could you talk about you know How could you talk about Jesus and not talk about insert anything that's not covered?" and they're like well i mean it's alpha it's not alpha beta gamma you know i mean it's mm-hmm. like we're just we're just trying to start the conversation and get the most important information in people's hands for for them to be able to entrust themselves to the lord right um, there's a whole lot you need to know i mean you know that's the start of the journey once you entrust yourself to the lord there's a whole lot that comes after that Uh, And there's a whole lot of nerdy people like me who would love (laughs) to help uh, teach people that. But if the point is helping those who have not yet committed their life to the Lord feel safe to do so and have clarity about what the invitation that is offered them uh, or that's before them, what that invitation means, then there's some things you want to cover and there's some things that can wait till later. Right. Mm -hmm. That's great. Okay. So, Jen, if we're maybe kind of closing up here, like if somebody's like, okay, fine, I'm sold. I wanna I wanna do this. We talked about steps and a couple of practices and, and questions. Somebody's excited to try this. Give like one or two things. Like start here. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So if you're looking to, to give this a try, I think that the, the first thing that I would recommend is to go back to those four steps that we talked about. Mm. And, and the first one really involves identifying those irreducible minimums. Mm-hmm. What are the things that I just have to teach that I can't not teach mm-hmm. um, because this is something that, that this person clearly needs to know. It's going to be helpful and relevant to them. And then I think you want to practice crafting that, that message. Mm-hmm. What is your bottom line that you want to communicate? So getting clarity around that and then figuring out how do I communicate this, whatever the bottom line is, in a compelling and uh, helpful way that's going to lead people to application, to action.
0: Okay. So decide what you're going to say, really. Like what what is that basic core message on this topic that I have to communicate and then spend some time thinking about like, okay, how will I do that? Mm-hmm. Right, yes. Which probably involves a little bit of like, okay, like what? why does this matter mm-hmm. to, to these to mm-hmm. these people?
1: And I would also recommend this is, this might be a little harder, but I think something that could be very helpful is if you've given a recent lesson or a talk or mm-hmm. a message of some kind, go back and reevaluate that in light of this principle of teach less for more.
0: Oh, that's great. I think that
1: that can really shed light for us on where are the pitfalls that Mm -hmm. we maybe uniquely fall into, um, where we want to insert more information or where we're not clear on what we're trying to communicate, where we're we're maybe a little bit off on, is this message going to be relevant for the Mm -hmm. person who's listening? Um, So that's a little harder to go back and do that self-examination. But I know for myself when I've done that, it's always such a fruitful learning experience Mm -hmm. that then the next time... That I'm approaching that same type of situation, I can see with greater clarity how I should go about that in a way that's going to be more effective to teach less for more.
0: Yeah, that's great. My only one is like, if you're going to tell a funny story, make sure it actually helps. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> I love telling stories and I, I love humor, but I want it, it I, and it has to be there, but I need for myself to go through the little extra labor to make sure that it's not just a funny story, but it's actually one that helps me reinforce the point. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, it is actually not helpful. Mm-hmm. Jen, I mean, both of us, we'd, we'd give a, a shout out here. Uh, we'll put it in, in the show notes. But the book, The Seven Practices of Effective Ministry, uh, there's a whole chapter on this. Uh, it's by Andy Stanley, Reggie Joyner, great group of uh, pastors. But really, this applies business, youth ministry, whole church context. It's really just a fantastic discipline, uh, and there's again there's a whole chapter in the book Seven Practices of Effective Ministry. Yeah. So thank you, Jen. Thanks for being with us.
1: Thanks so much, Jim.
0: All right, everybody. Uh, if this was helpful to you, share this out. Uh, you can come back. You can listen to this again. Uh, use this uh, this lens and this practice as you begin to craft your next retreat moment, your next lesson, next conversation. All right. Thanks, everybody.